Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, October the 10th, 2022. Not only the world's leading thinkers, but the healthiest thinkers, the healthiest writers, the wellest, if there's such a word, the wellest writers. I think I have uh, an extremely well person on the show today, uh, Melissa Urban. Um, Melissa, um, before we start, uh, a few weeks ago, I had um, somebody, a journalist called Rena Raphael on the show. She's written a new book called The Gospel of Wellness, Jim's Guru's Goop and the False Promise of Self-Care. She's very critical of the wellness industry. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. And, and quite honestly, I'm not sure if she mentions you or your work in her book. But what do you make of um, critics of wellness who suggest that it's a bit of a scam broadly? So I haven't read her book, although it is on my to-do list. It's on my bedside to-read table. Um, so I can't comment specifically on what she writes about. But yeah, I do think that in wellness in general, there are a lot of over-promises. There can be a lot of overselling of the science. There's certainly quite a bit of fear-mongering. And I think that there is a temptation to want to prescribe this one-size-fits-all approach where you are the only person who knows the best way to approach wellness and you have to follow exactly what I do and buy the things that I sell. And that's not really how I operate or how we operate, but I'm certain that some of her criticisms at least are relatively fair. I do want to read the book though. I have to admit that I it's not an area that I'm particularly familiar with. So I apologize in advance if some of my questions are a bit dim. They generally are dim, of course. Um, I've spent some time on your website um, and you you present yourself as someone who has figured some stuff out. You describe yourself as the Whole30 co-founder and CEO, recovered addict, uh, best-selling author, mother, podcast host, nature churchgoer and boundary wizard. Uh, your new book is on boundaries. So uh, I would hope you're a boundary wizard. Do you think, uh, Melissa, you've figured life out? Is this part of your narrative or is that unfair? Uh, I mean, I don't know that anybody ever figures life out. I will say that I tend to share my own lived experiences with my community in a really open and transparent way once I've had the capacity to sort of process, you know, with my own therapist and in my own self-work and with the people in my life. And I have come to a few conclusions of my own. However, I'm sure 10 years from now, looking back, I will say, wow, you were doing pretty good for what you had then, but now you know so much better and you're doing better. And I think that's what I'm always trying to do. In terms of boundaries, you have a, a new book out, um, The Book of Boundaries, Set the Limits That Will Set You Free. Uh, a lot of your success is built in to you presenting yourself to the world. Are there boundaries in what you're willing to talk about to your audience, to your podcast listeners, to your readers? Do you set boundaries? Have you always set boundaries? Or is this a new thing given your new book, which is actually out tomorrow? Uh, so since the beginning of Whole30 in 2009, when I had a public presence, 
I have set really strict boundaries around what I choose to share with people in my community, with media and podcast hosts. It's not your job to guess my boundaries. You can ask me anything you want. But one of the limits that I use internally, and it came from Brene Brown, is that I share what is personal but not intimate. So I will certainly talk to you about my personal experience with drug addiction and recovery and divorce and you know these things that have happened to me that I have gone on to process in my own life quite effectively and I feel comfortable sharing, but there are aspects of my life like my son. I have a nine-year-old son. I do not talk about him on social media. You will never see his face. You won't hear his name. He is intimate. That is just for me. I won't talk about things I'm going through in the moment. If I'm going through a depressive episode or if I'm struggling with some sort of mental health issue, I won't talk about it in the moment because it feels too raw. I will wait until I've shared that with the people in my life. And then once I feel like I can share from a grounded place, then I will. So yes, I do have boundaries because my life is quite public and I need to make sure that there are some things that I keep just for me. You're the author of a number of best-selling books. Do you feel that you've learned a lot about yourself from writing those books or was that knowledge always there, which accounts for the lucidity and success of, of the books themselves? It's a really great question. I always learn a lot about myself when I write. In fact, every time I put something out, a newsletter, a book, I always say to people, I'm only just talking to myself. And I really believe that that is true. I do spend years researching my material with my community before I sit down to write. So there is some lucidity in my concepts because I've had the chance to prove them out. I've been able to offer advice, get feedback, see how it went, tweak the way I say things to make sure it's more effective. But yeah, every time I write a book, it's like I have to crystallize how I feel about it as I'm writing because I'm thinking about or anticipating challenges that might come or questions that people might have. And I have to think to myself, okay, how would I explain this in even more detail? Because it makes sense to me, but how is it going to make sense to someone who's never heard of this concept before? If I happen to sit next to you on an air uh, and an airline journey, for example, Melissa, you were a complete stranger and we started chatting. How would you introduce yourself? What would you tell me about yourself? It kind of depends. I don't think we would start chatting because I'm very introverted and I would get on my airplane with my headphones in and my book on. And yeah, I would me too. But not uh, make just, eye contact. Yeah. I don't know. Let's say... Um, Let's say that the plane got delayed and we couldn't avoid talking to one another. I would I would probably enjoy talking to you. You seem lovely. So I would generally say something like, I write books about health and nutrition. That's a very kind of opening, you know, simple way for me to share. If someone asks for more detail, I might say I created a nutrition program called The Whole 30 and I might explain it. Very often people have heard of it, so they get to, you know, talk a little bit about it. But yeah, I generally say I write books about health and wellness. And if you were talking to an intimate friend, someone who you had no boundaries with, what, what would you tell them about your life? There's nobody I don't have boundaries with. That is the truth. My husband, my son, my sister, the three people in my life that are the closest to me, I still have healthy boundaries with them. They certainly see me in moments where I am more vulnerable. And those are the kinds of situations where I might show up with my sister and say, I need to vent. I am about to be completely ridiculous. Everything I say is going to sound wild. It is not going to make sense. You're going to want to smack me for half of it because how can I be so clueless? But I have to get this off my chest and saying it out loud is really going to help me process it. Can you listen? And she will listen. So my, I do still have boundaries with them, but I tend to engage more fluidly and more openly and more vulnerably because those relationships feel so safe. You have a very, it seems to me, a very distinct sense of self. Where, where did this come from? A very coherent view, which 
of course, is built into your new book about boundaries. You know where you end and the world begins. How did you learn that? And therapy, decades of therapy. I mean, starting first with, you know, my trauma, sexual assault at age 16. And then I spent five years as a drug addict and then went to rehab once and relapsed and went to rehab a second time. And I've done so much therapy and self-work to unpack all of that, going all the way back to my trauma and my addiction and how I feel about myself and my worth and my value. And I think because of that willingness to kind of unpack all of that and take a really good hard look at it. And I had some incredible therapists who, you know, always called me on my BS and didn't let me get away with skirting around issues. I've had the opportunity, I think, to become more self-aware. And I think the more I learn about myself, the more comfortable and confident I feel in the world. So I'm still in therapy today. I think it's an awesome practice. I highly recommend it. You're you're very popular on social media, particularly Instagram. You have 903,000 followers, at least on Whole30, and only 800, you're only following 802 people. So clearly you figured out the zeitgeist. You seem to capture the spirit of our age. Um, do you think there's some truth to that? What is it about you that makes your work, your ideas, your diet, your book on boundaries so resonant with so many people? I think the very first thing I have to say is that the Whole30 is incredibly effective. The program has been around since 2009, and it works very well for the vast majority of people who complete it. So I could have the best marketing in the world, the best social media you know, clips and reels and videos and the best persona. But if the program itself didn't work very well, I don't think it would have taken off. I also do think that because my voice has always been the voice of the Whole30 since day one, I've always done all of the writing and all of the speaking, that when people connect to the voice, then they connect to it. And it's consistent and been consistent over the years. So I would like to think that a combination of both, the fact that the program works really well, that we have such a large, inclusive, welcoming, positive community, which is relatively rare online. And the fact that, you know, if you connect with my voice, that's what you're going to get every single time you interact with me, I think has been a big part. But if this had come out 30 years ago, it probably wouldn't have had the success it's had. You, you clearly... Um, resonate. This is an age, if not, I, I don't want to exaggerate, not the age of Melissa Urban, but an age in which a Melissa Urban can be successful. 30 years ago, I, I don't suppose you would have been. I don't know what what's changed in the world over the last 30 years as you've grown up. Well, I think for one, social media obviously makes it a lot easier for you to reach a broader audience, right? When I think about a program like Weight Watchers, which has been incredibly successful, is different than the Whole30, but successful. You know, they were around in the 70s before any semblance of social media, and they were incredibly successful by boots on the ground, in-person social interaction. So I certainly think that there are ways to continue to be successful without social media, but it really helps. I think the other piece of it is that Whole30 came to be in 2009, right around the start of when people began being aware of or more aware of the concept of diet culture and how damaging it can be, the idea that your weight and and what the scale says is sort of dictating your value and that the only goal that we should have if we change the food on our plate is to make ourselves smaller and that our worth and value are tied up in our body weight. And I think people are in 2009, at least, we're looking for a different way. And Whole30 does offer something very different. I think it was a, a welcome relief for a lot of people. What's different then about the Whole30 approach? 
So we are not a prescriptive plan. We're not saying you should eat like this, or we're not telling you what to eat. We're based in the framework of an elimination diet. So for 30 days, you do this self-experiment where you eliminate certain foods and then reintroduce them and compare your experience. We don't restrict calories. We don't count calories. You don't get on the scale. We're not weighing or measuring, measuring or tracking. It's not about weight loss. It's about identifying the foods that work best for you in your unique context. And when the program is over, you take what you've learned and you create the perfect sustainable diet for you. So everyone's program is going to lead them to a different place based on their own learnings and their own definition of health. So it's a highly individualized notion of eating well. Is that fair? It, exactly. You know, every nutritionist and dietitian in the world says there is no one size fits all approach to diet. You have to figure out what works for you. And people go, cool. How do I figure out what works for me? And Whole30 is really the how. Let's talk about the new book, the book of boundaries, set the limits that will set you free. You've said in, uh, in, I think in the book and certainly in interviews that you woke up in the middle of the night and you had the whole proposal written or in your mind, almost written out. Um, it sounds almost uh, miraculous. I assume that you had to do the whole Whole30 thing before getting to um, the Book of Boundaries. What's the bridge between the two? Yes, I absolutely did. Everything I've done since 2009 with the Whole30 prepared me to write this book. Because Whole30 is an elimination program, you are giving up foods for 30 days, foods that are commonly problematic. So you say no a lot on the Whole30, no to the break room donuts or your mom's pasta or the glass of wine at happy hour. And I quickly discovered that a lot of people really struggled to say no, especially in social situations. So I began helping them find the words to say no in those scenarios. And they realized how confident building, confidence building and empowering that felt. And then people started saying, well, can you also help me say no to my pushy coworker or my toxic mother-in-law or my nosy neighbor? And so helping people set and hold boundaries in other relationships really came from the experience that I learned helping people set boundaries on the Whole30. And that's exactly where the progression to the Book of Boundaries came from. Are you encouraging people in the Book of Boundaries to be selfish? No, I'm not. I'm not saying, please care only for your own needs. What I am saying is your needs matter just as much as anybody else's. It's not selfish to have needs. It's not selfish to want to keep yourself safe and healthy. It's not selfish to issue an invitation to someone in your life, in a relationship to say, hey, I have this limit and you didn't know that I had it and I'm going to express it now to you clearly and kindly and I will invite you to meet me in that limit so that our relationship can be more trusting, more respectful, more open, more comfortable. I don't think any aspect of boundaries are selfish. Why do you think, uh, Melissa, so many people get taken advantage of, at least in your language, in terms of people being pushy and, and wanting things that uh, are unreasonable? I, is this a female thing? I, I'm guessing that you have more female readers uh, in, uh, in your community than, than male, although I'm sure there are some men who, who, who read your stuff. What, what's distinctively female about this? Yes. So I think the first part to that question is that it is human nature that people will take as much as you are willing to give. That does not speak poorly of any one person. It is just a fact that unless you set your own limits, people are going to take as much of your time or energy or attention as you will allow them. And yes, I think this is largely 
experienced the most by women, especially by moms, because influences like the patriarchy and stereotypically rigid gender roles and often religious influences have taught us that we shouldn't have needs as women, that we should be small and compliant and we should put everyone else's needs above our own. And if we do have a need and we do choose to express it, we're called selfish. So I think we have learned through modeling and systemic influences that we shouldn't have limits and we certainly shouldn't shouldn't say them because if we do say them, we're considered rude or manipulative or pushy or controlling or other, you know, bad words that I won't share here. And there's a lot of unlearning that we need to do here as women in order to see boundaries as the healthy, freeing practice that it is. The term feminism now sounds a little old fashioned, but there seems to be um, some feminist ideas, at least, at the heart of your work, setting women free, empowering them, enabling them to realize themselves. Do you think of yourself as a feminist, Melissa? I, I don't know. I don't. Um, probably. Probably. I guess depending on the definition that you would choose to use, what I really want to do is to empower people to find their voice and to use their voice to reconnect with themselves and their own needs, to realize their own worth and value, and to be able to use their voice to advocate for themselves. And, you know, I'm, I really talk to anyone who needs that. And I certainly talk to plenty of men. Um, but yeah, I guess for, through my own experience, I would really love to speak directly to women and particularly to moms to help them come to that same sense of confidence that I've been able to develop. Do you think people who eat badly, who are vulnerable to one kind of an addiction or another, alcohol, drugs, are most in need of your book of boundaries setting these limits? Certainly. I mean, there's a huge case to be made for anybody who's new to recovery to set and hold healthy boundaries to protect their very life and their recovery. That was where I started my own boundary practice was in my recovery. But I think that we often overlook the death by a thousand cuts. It's the small things in our life that we say yes to when we don't really want to and that we let slide even though we want to call it out and that we just hold our tongues and we say okay and we grin and bear it. All of those things I think are just eating away at our time and energy and resilience and they're making us angry and frustrated and resentful and depressed and anxious. And I think those folks are are just as much in need of boundaries as anybody. It doesn't have to be because you have like one big thing you're trying to protect. It can be just those million little things that you can use to help restore all of that capacity back to you. Do you think, uh, Melissa, one feature of intimacy is not having boundaries, even if that can be irritating? If people read your book and 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 and, and comply then aren't we taking the intimacy out of relationships? Don't we need to get on each other's nerves if we're husbands and wives and children and grandparents? Setting boundaries does not mean that you have an idyllic relationship or that you never get on each other's nerves. My husband and I can attest to that. But I would say our relationship is far more intimate because of our clear communication and because of the boundaries that we are willing to set with each other. So you know, I can say to him, hey, I it's been a long weekend with the kiddo. I really need an hour in the bedroom alone. I'm just going to go in there, close the door and read. OK, and he'll go, cool, I get it. 
And when I come back out, I am a more present wife. I'm My cup is refilled. I'm ready to be more intimate with him. If I just grin and bared it, probably by the time we went to bed, I would be snippy and short and resentful. And like he would, you know, make some kind of romantic gesture. I would shove him away and he wouldn't know why. So I think boundaries are a really healthy way to preserve and even restore intimacy to a relationship. What? I, I, I'm not sure if you use this word, but I'm curious. Do you, you, you've talked about yourself as a recovering addict. Uh, um, do you see yourself as a survivor? And do you think the word survivor is overused these days? Everyone seems to think of themselves as a survivor of one thing or another. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to allow everyone to um, label or describe their own self-experience as they choose. I would never attempt to override someone else's self-descriptor. So I know folks who say I am, I'm an addict. I am an addict, even though they've been in recovery for 12 years. That's how, you know, that label really serves their recovery. I know people who call themselves a victim, who call themselves a survivor. I would never attempt to dictate someone else's lived experience. That's not how I refer to myself, but that's just because again, in my own experience, I don't, I don't find that that word would serve me any differently than I guess, how I would normally think about it, but I would never attempt to take that away from anybody else. I mentioned before that you're on uh, very popular on Instagram. You're also very active on uh, Twitter, both as yourself, Melissa Urban, and as Whole30. The whole point of social media is to do away with boundaries, isn't it? It's 24-7. Everyone reveals everything about themselves. Do you think to really build boundaries in one's own life, one needs to if not get off social media, certainly have a day or two a week or an hour or two a day when one doesn't look at one's Instagram or Twitter feed. I definitely think that you should make social media an environment that works for you. So I'm a huge advocate because social media, you can control everything that comes into you. You are pulling it in. Nobody is shoving it onto you. So I highly encourage people, unfollow anybody that makes you feel less than, that makes you compare yourself and come up short, that just doesn't feel uplifting to you. Unfollow, block, mute, unfriend, even if that's someone you know in your real life. I absolutely encourage that. If you find that watching the news or doom scrolling on Twitter is making your life, life less healthy, then yes, take a night off or take every night off or you know, do away from the app altogether. I do think that social media can be a really connective, uplifting, restorative place, but you have to make it like that. And so that requires, again, some boundaries. Do you think that one can have, I mean, do you believe in the idea of a life of sacrifice, of giving? I do. And also, I can't give so much that I run myself into the ground in the process because then I won't have anything left to give to anybody. So I do believe in a life of giving. And I find that in my own life, when I'm feeling my most down or my mo most depressed, what helps me the most is to give something back to people. I will do an ask me anything on Instagram or answer a question or, you know, I'll do what I can to try to help somebody else. But there has to be a limit around that or else I just find that I'm lighting myself on fire to keep other people warm and that's not sustainable or healthy. And that doesn't allow me to be fully present with people in my real life either. Do you have a, a high self-regard? I think I have an honest self-regard. I think I have evaluated how I show up and how I write and how I speak and all of these different aspects of myself. And I think I have decided how I feel about myself. 
And when you have decided how you feel, what other people say doesn't really affect you one way or the other. So you could say that I am the most interesting, smartest person you've ever met. And I would go, that's nice. I'm really glad you're experiencing that, you know, experiencing me that way. Or you could say that was the worst interview I've ever done. She's terribly not well-spoken. She's awful. And I would say, wow, it's interesting that you would say that, but I don't think that's how the interview went. So I do think there's a sense of confidence that comes from the level of self-awareness that I've tried to get to through all of my like self-work and therapy practices. And outside of yourself, who are your heroes? That's a really good question. I've had mentors in my life that you would never have heard of. Um, but well, people... broader cultural figures, uh, you know, people often mention, I don't know, not that I'm suggesting you, you bring up uh, Martin Luther King, but figures in the culture who have sacrificed themselves, who have done good for the world. I mean, the first person that comes to mind right now is Dolly Parton. And I know that might seem like an unusual... Yeah, we did a show about Dolly uh, yeah. a couple, uh, last week, a woman... Um, who actually are someone in the survival business who has used Dolly as her inspiration. Yeah, she's just a remarkable woman with such just decades of just strength, standing absolutely standing up for herself amongst, you know, some very public criticism and very public kind of misconceptions about her. She's incredible with her charitable offerings and um, the, you know, the causes that she chooses to focus on. I really admire people like that who are willing to, you know, I think back to old interviews with like Cher or Jane Fonda, who are just willing to say their truth and like whatever happens, happens because they're so confident in that. I really admire that. What about the ideal of public service? I mean, Dolly Parton, I guess, in a sense, with her creative work was giving back to the public. But what about politics or just general public service? Are there people in that space that you really admire? I, I mean, politics is is tough. Um, I certainly, of course, look up to Senator Cory Booker. I look up to AOC. I think she is absolutely unafraid and unapologetic of sharing well, her Why views. Cory Booker? I'm curious. I you really live love in uh, Salt Lake. I mean, I do. And, and he's uh, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, I love the way he shows up on social media. He's very inspiring. I really like the stand that he takes around, you know, when he when they were um, questioning um, the latest Supreme Court justice, he was incredibly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just very clear and very direct in sort of what it meant to him and Katanji Brown and what it meant to him. And um, I just like the way he shows up. Again, I feel like he shows up unapologetically for the things that he believes in. And that means a lot to me. Do you get the sense that he's a decent guy privately, that he treats people well? I I believe so. I very much believe so. And also, you know, social media can be tricky in that way and that people can show a highlight reel. And I'm certainly not saying that about Senator Booker, but I do think, you know, I try to reserve judgment about what I know about people just because I follow them on social media. You're really only seeing a teeny tiny sliver of their life and their lived experience. So I definitely try not to judge. How have I done, Melissa, in terms of your boundaries? Have I stepped on your toes at all? It's never your job to guess my boundaries. It's up to me to set and hold them. So don't you worry about it. I think we did great here. Well, congratulations on the new book. I don't have any boundaries, but that's probably my problem. I guess I can't as an interviewer. Um, I am um, I really enjoyed this conversation. What else are you reading? Uh, Non-Melissa uh, Urban books that you enjoy? Yeah, um, 
let's see, I, I'm always reading a fiction, uh, fiction book. So I just finished a book called How to Fall Out of Love Madly, which I really loved. It was light, but really pretty. Oh, you're going to ask me the person's name now. And I can't remember off the top of my head. I read so much. Uh, but How to Fall Out of Love Madly, that was the one book that I read. Um, I'm trying not to read a ton of nonfiction right now just because I have my own book in my head. So I'm really trying to get away with just reading fiction books. I have a, a book from my friend Nora McInerney called Bad Vibes Only that I just finished. And her book actually comes out same day as mine tomorrow. And hers was excellent. It's a series of personal essays and she's such a beautiful writer. So there's my fiction and nonfiction picks. Better book than yours? A different book than mine, but equally wonderful. 